Turn in your Bible to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 18. This is something that most people that's been to church any time at all is familiar with. I will admit something. I really can't ever remember taking this scripture and preaching this scripture. Um, I just don't think I have. But we'll see what happens today. Jeremiah 18. I got a bottled water somewhere that I might need. Thanks. My lovely assistant, Vanna. (laughs) Jeremiah 18, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear words, my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. Father, take the words that we will speak here this morning, and I am praying, God, that they will be life and truth to every person here. In Jesus' name, amen. Mankind started in a garden. And from that garden, God took soil. And the Bible says this in Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Other things he spoke into existence but not with you and me. God took the time to, now this is amazing to me, to, when he could have spoke Adam into existence, but instead he took the time to form Adam. 99% of the human body are made up of six elements. They are oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, phosphorus. Soil has these elements within it. Oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, phosphorus. You can find around this neck of the woods brown soil. You can find brown people. You know, they say farmers say, oh, yeah, if you, any, anybody could be a farmer in, in central Illinois with all that black dirt, but you got to be a real farmer to grow something here. <laughs> and you go a little further and you're in different places in the state, you can find black soil, and guess what? There's black people. You can go to where there's red soil, and guess what? There's red people. There's yellow soil. Guess what? There's yellow people. You're going to say, now you're going to say white. No, I'm not going to say white, because if you're white, you're dead. You're color of a sheet of paper. <laughs> There's tan soil, and guess what? There are tan people. The very same thing that God used to make mankind out of, that's what we are. I want you to tell your neighbor... You look pretty good for a lump of clay. 
And this is not in my sermon, but imagine with me how amazing Eve would have looked. I mean, think of that. How amazing that she would have looked. I mean, gals, you look really, really, really good, and that's from 6,000 years of defects. So we can only just got to guess what Eve would have looked like. God said to Jeremiah, I will cause you to hear my words. And then what does he do? He gives him an object lesson. He goes and tells him to go to the potter's shop, and there the potter with the wheel, and there takes the lump, if you've seen on the video, takes the lump of clay and slams it down upon the potter's wheel and then begins working and molding. What did he do? He showed him a wheel. Spurgeon called this the steady sameness. Now, I like that, and the older I get, the better I like that. I used to not like that at all, that phrase, and that whole thought. The steady sameness. That's not what we want. We want somebody to pray over us and slap us on the forehead and say, Hyundai, Shondai, bow tie, and here it goes. It's going to happen tonight. That's what we want. That's what we want. But again, Spurgeon calls it the steady sameness. And that's what that circular motion was with that, to be able to create that piece of pottery years ago. And I was with Michelle's dad. Me and Don George went to Evansville. And we was in a service that had probably 400 people there. There was a preacher preaching from Arkansas. And at the end of that service, he called me and Don up. And when we got there, he said, you two are preachers. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, I mean, Don's got a three-piece suit on. If anybody looked like a preacher, he looked like a preacher. Yeah, I, I can, you know, he, he, yeah, a blind man could have seen that with Don. But I had blue jeans on and tennis shoes on and no socks and... And uh, I'm thinking, now, now this guy, for him to know I'm a preacher, that's doing something. God is working from this guy. And I don't know what he told Don. Because he had us both come up. He prayed over Don, and then he said some words over Don. He prayed over me, and then he prophesied over me. And here's what the man said. God's promise to you will be like an oak tree. Kids will play in the branches. And adults will be able to relax and get shade underneath those branches. That didn't happen 25 seconds later. See, it's no, I mean, you ought to be able to figure it out. It's not by chance or accident that the logo here at Orchardville is of an oak tree. And what he said to me didn't happen 25 minutes later. It didn't happen 25 hours later, and it didn't happen 25 months later. 25 years later, that prophecy has now been fulfilled, and I can see it still being fulfilled within my life, but that's not how we like it. We want it now. 
We want to put that bag of popcorn in the microwave and say, hurry up. <laughs> Tommy Barnett, years ago, prayed over me and went in a man that I have always loved that guy. I have always thought the, just the, that, that the, the world of that man, and he prayed over me, and he, and he said, Lord, this man understands addition in ministry. It's time for him to understand multiplication in ministry. And at that time, I had 60 people attending Orchardville Church, but soon after that, the church started growing. Thank God for it but it didn't happen the next day. Years ago, there was a, a couple that was, was over at Kay in, my, in our house, and, and uh, they wanted to see my office, and at that time, I probably had 30 books. Now I've got 600 plus. And she went in, looked at those books, and she's seen one of them, which, great book, by Watchman Nee. The normal Christian life. And she read that and she goes, ha, there ain't nothing normal about it. And you know what I think? That's dead wrong. Again, we get back to what Spurgeon said, the steady sameness. Preacher, that ain't what I want. I want somebody, again, being able to say some words over me and I get involved in this lazy Christianity where I don't have to do nothing, but I'm looking to this uh, a pastor to be able to say some words over me and that's all I need. That's not all you need. You need that steady sameness. That being able to read your Bible every day. Don't shout me down on any of these. To be able to pray every day. To be able to attend church. To be able to give a tithe. To be able to get involved in what's going on. To read, to pray. I mean, it's the sameness. To attend church. That's the sameness. It's the sameness. There is something that God can grow in our life if we won't jump off that wheel. I mean, I know faith-filled pastors. They got 42 people in their church, and they had 42 people last year, and they had 42 people 10 years ago, and they had 42 people 12 years ago. I say, use your faith and win somebody. I mentioned this Wednesday night. God forbid that all we do here at this church is, as I've heard some people say, we're not really into soul winning. We just gather around the word. If somebody's trying to break into your house and you went and got your shotgun and you said, come on, kids, come on, wife and kids, come to the living room, and you place the shotgun down in the middle of the living room and says, now everybody hold hands and we'll gather around the gun and we'll say kumbaya. And there's somebody trying to break into your house. You would never do that. You would never do that. You would pick up that gun and you would shoot somebody. That's what you would do. In Christian love, of course. We're not just gathering around the Word. We want to use the Word of God to be able to minister to my life and to somebody else's life. Again, the same person, I don't mean to pile on it, but the same person is a, oh, the normal. There's nothing normal about it. The steady sameness. 
This same gal was a gal that I said, you know, I'm thinking about going to a retreat. Not a retreat. <laughs> An advance is what we call it. And I'm thinking, get out. Can't call a retreat a retreat. Get out. Got 42 people in your church and can't win anybody, but yet we're not going to call a retreat a retreat. We got to call an advance. Come on. Whew. I think Solomon had it right in the Song of Solomon when he said, I went down into the valley of nuts. <laughs> I've been into that valley sometimes. I had a guy tell me one time, at work, everybody thinks I'm a religious nut. And I didn't say it, but I thought it, you are a nut. <laughs> Jesus prayed, and he is our example. I remind everybody that. He is our example. And Jesus prayed at one time in the garden, Father, not my will, thy will be done. Here's where it cuts right to it. I'm not God, and neither are you. And you may think you know exactly what needs to happen, but let me clue you in. You really don't. You don't have it all figured out on everything. Neither do I. John Bunyan, who was through in, into Bedford prison because he was preaching in Bedford Square and had to stay in prison for 13 years. 13 years. And his wife and kids would come and visit him. And he had a daughter that was blind. And she'd get up on her dad's lap and say, Dad, please come home. And they would leave. And the, and the, the prison guards would say, Bunyan, we're not evil. We're not mean men. Just agree. Agree with the governor that you will no longer preach at Bedford Square. And here he is languishing in Bedford prison. And that man stood up from his cot and squared his shoulders and said something that all of heaven rejoiced at. He said, if you let me out of Bedford prison tonight, I'll be at Bedford Square tomorrow preaching the gospel. Now, God was going to do something in his life that that man didn't know. God was going to do something that the whole world would be impacted by. Every day they brought him in a glass of milk. And on top of that was a little parchment piece of almost like a cloth that would lay on top of that milk. And he would take that cloth and take some charcoal and a stick and begin writing on both sides of that cloth. He would save that back. The next day they'd bring in a glass of milk. He would take that parchment piece and begin writing for third years this man didn't know all the answers he didn't know all the whys he didn't know all the facts of why what this was happening to him but he felt like he needed to write family would show up the wife was getting sicker and sicker other family members would show up and say they're going to have to be sold into into debt and you've got so much debt and there's no way to pay for it and, and your kids are going to have to go into a slavery type thing to be able to pay for your debt. All you got to do is agree not to preach. And the guy stayed right where he was at. And 13 years later, he come out of that and all of them pieces 
of parchment was there. He carried out with him. Who knows what that became? Pilgrim's Progress. Second only to the Bible in total sales worldwide. And if you haven't, if you haven't read that, get a copy and read it. In Daniel chapter 6, it was crunch time in Daniel's life. The, the law had been given that nobody is to pray. You can see this, Daniel 6, verse 10. And what does Daniel do? The Bible says Daniel went home, knelt before the open window toward Jerusalem, and prayed three times a day. Now watch what, I love this. It's crunch time. His back's to the wall. And guess what he does? He don't pray any more than he prayed before. He doesn't pray any less than he prayed before. He prayed the same. He prayed the same. The steady sameness. There needs to be root within yourself when things arise and, tr and trouble happens and storms arise in your life to where you can draw from. And I'm telling you, the Bible says, in your patience, possess ye your soul. If you've got something there, when trouble comes, you can't get through it. Now, I'm going to give you another thing. There are times that the potter will take what he's made and will put it on the shelf. There's been years in my life I've been shelved. I didn't like that. But I went ahead and obeyed anyway. Getting back to Michelle's dad. Don would let me preach on Sunday morning. And you preachers don't think you ever get an opportunity. Listen, you've got a sob story, you listen to mine. <laughs> He let me preach once on Sunday morning a year, and that was it. That was it. What did he have me doing? He had me working with the youth. <laughs> he said, this is something, Martha, you can learn by. And really what he was saying is, I'm going to show you. <laughs> you're going to be right here in the trenches with these kids. And they hated me and I hated them. <laughs> and I can remember praying every day. Every day was I was going to work. God, you know my heart. You know I want a pastor. What am I doing here with these young people? I want to preach to old people. <laughs> This is something, and I've used this uh, in the book I wrote. You know I wrote a book, didn't you? Um, I used this with John and Jane. The Bible says in Proverbs that your gift will make room for you. Not that you make room for your gift. Get out of my way. Uh-uh. <laughs> your gift to make room for you. John and Jane was here for six months. Before I even knew they could play any instrument at all. And somebody came up to me and said, uh, man, Steve Garrison, he said, man, 
you got the dynamic duo here in this congregation. I said, I know I do. No, not you. He said, John and Jane. And, hey, the rest is history. But they didn't come pushing people out of the way. There's a guy came into this service. Oh, it's been back four years ago plus. Song service is going on. Me and Kay was sitting over there. Or I was sitting over there. He comes up to me and he says, I got a word for this church, brother. I looked up at him. I said, I don't know who you are. Hey, I got a word. Well, I don't know who you are. Bible says, know them that labor among you. And I just don't know who you are. That don't matter. I got a word. I said, I got a word. Go sit down. <laughs> so he was going to be able to show everybody what, who he was and how he could bless the church. And it's amazing to me, down through the years I've seen this time and time again, people that can't get a crowd of their own, they want to come over and, yeah, live off this crowd. I've seen that. Now, all of that was my getting ready, and boy, now I don't have much time left, but here's my message right here. You ready? This is my message. So he made it again. The greatest revival in human history, upwards to one million people, got right with God. Well, who was the preacher that could have preached like that? I'll tell you who he was. He was a rebel. I tell you who he was, he was cantankerous. I tell you who he was, he was stubborn and pig-headed. I tell you who he was, he was a guy when God said, go to Nineveh, he said, I'm going to Spain. I don't want to go to Nineveh. And the Bible says in Jonah chapter 2, that after this man had been swallowed up by a whale... That Jonah prayed out of the belly of the fish. And his prayer was, oh God, I delight to do thy will. <laughs> you know, I've heard people say, God won't make you do anything. God will make you want to do something. <laughs> That's what happened there. Jonah wanted to exit out the same way he had entered in. Think of that one. And the greatest verse, with this being our title, the Lord can use you again. The greatest verse in the book of Jonah is Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. I like that. God didn't give up on that guy. Hallelujah. That ought to be something all of us can shout about. That God gives us even more than two chances. The greatest revival in the New Testament. There wasn't just 10 people got saved, or 50, or 100. Or there wasn't just 200 that got saved, or 500, or 1,000. And there just wasn't 2,000 that got saved. 3,000 people was born again. Who was this preacher that was able to preach such a great sermon? Well, this man had denied the Lord. This man 
was always saying stupid things. Always. The Bible says, and Peter said, those words are given more times than all the other disciples combined. Josh Koontz asked just last night, Mark, how come Jesus didn't get married? I said, I know the answer to that. Because all the places where it says, and Jesus said, if he'd have got married, it would have said, and Jesus' wife said. <laughs> I got an answer to that. I got an answer to that. And Jesus began his sentence and his wife finished his sentence. I got an answer to that. <laughs> Speaking from experience there. <laughs> and yet the Lord Jesus said to Simon Peter, I will use you again. With all of his mess ups and failures. King David. God said to that man with, with nobody going to a deeper level than what that guy did. I, I've thought about this one time, and it was just like a, a, an arrow just went in, into my heart. I was reading about with Psalms chapter 23 and thought, the same man that wrote that was the same man that wrote a note saying, pull back in the heat of the battle and leave Uriah and let him get killed. Same man. You know what God could have done? Forget you. You know what God did? He forgave him. He forgave him. When Nathan the prophet approached David and told him the story of the one you lamb, and David said, that man will pay fourfold, and Nathan looks at him and said, you're the man. David could have had him killed. You know what David did? I have sinned. And because of that repentant attitude, God was still able to use that great man. Elijah the prophet withstands, this is amazing, withstands the prophets of Baal. Withstands the prophets of Baal. 400 of the prophets of Baal are slain that day. One evil queen puts the word out to Elijah, I'm going to kill you and he runs for his life runs for his life and there at the mouth of that cave when God revealed himself as the wind and the earthquake and the tornado and then as a still small voice and tells him arise from where you're at and anoint these three men to reach the next generation. And I thought, the mercy of God to still use Elijah and to use him to the extent that he would help the next generation to be able to reach Israel. Every one of us ought to be thankful. Because I've mentioned this before. You take your, you take your shirt off, there ain't going to be wings popping out the back. They just ain't. They just ain't. They just ain't. Every one of us need to be thrilled because of the grace of God. The grace of God. I'm going to preach a man's funeral tomorrow that it's because of the grace of God that that man is in heaven today. When Billy Graham passes away, it'll be because of the grace of God. Not because he preached around the world. The grace of God that he's in heaven. 
Every mom and dad whose kids have been marred by sin, we need to realize, each and every one of us, that the Lord can use them again. Now, what you've seen in the video when Summer was singing, and I shouldn't have done that because somebody else would be singing over at Centralia Branch. It, uh, it gets confusing. It really does. It really does. You see the guy with uh, working the wheel, and he's got two hands. Egypt didn't do it that way. Egypt, the, the potter, had one hand, and with the other hand, he spun the wheel. In, in Israel, they did it to where it was, the wheel was operated by his foot. Both hands. The potter using both hands. The potter uses both hands. And the Bible says that while, and this might throw some theology your way that maybe you're not used to and you don't understand, but I'm just giving you how the Bible says it. The Bible says that while it was still in his hands, it became marred. You catch that? It doesn't say that the clay got mad and jumped off the wheel. That ain't what it says. While it was still in his hands, it became marred. Again, there may be things that goes on in our life that we don't quite understand. You say, well, we're in his hand. Hey, God can still use us. God can still use us. I want you to look close. Look close at the potter's feet as he's working that wheel. Because with the potter we're talking about, there's scars there. And if you look real close at his hands, there's scars there. thought of something recently. And Saul in the Old Testament bugs me. And Judas in the New Testament bugs me. Few people had the opportunity that them two men had. And yet to miss it like they do. Judas sold out the Lord Jesus for this much, 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. What he sold the Lord Jesus out for, 30 pieces of silver. You know the sad thing? There are people selling out Jesus for a lot less. 30 pieces of silver. And when he goes and says, I betrayed innocent blood, and he takes that money and he throws it down upon that tile floor and it splatters and goes against that floor. Those priests gather that money up and the Bible says they take that money and they go and they purchase the potter's field. We have a choice. Either it's going to be the potter's field or the potter's wheel within every person's life. Because the potter's field was what they used for the shards and the, and the things that just would not work the way that the potter wanted them, and eventually he just had to discard them. Again, the guy that bugs me is Judas. If he could have held on, if he could have done what the potter wanted for 55 more days, because it was the day of the betrayal and the day of the crucifixion. And three days, Jesus was in the ground. And then there was 40 days after Jesus resurrected. 
And then after that, there was 10 days in the upper room, 55 days. And that man could have been exactly what all the other disciples would have been. But he went his own way. I think God wanted to use him again, but he didn't have the opportunity to use him again. Let me close with this. In the mid-1800s, the chess champ of America was a guy by the name of Paul Murphy, who Bobby Fischer said, being able to review everything, every play that he had ever made in an official chess tournament, Bobby Fischer said, without a doubt, Paul Murphy is the greatest chess mind ever. And Paul Murphy at one time with a friend was in an art gallery in New York. And as they went through that art gallery looking at different pieces, he came upon a piece that really got his attention. It was titled Checkmate. And it showed the devil on one side of the chessboard and a young man on the other side of the chessboard. And then you could see the pieces that was on the board. And a look of terror on the young man's face, checkmate. He had played and had lost. And what he had to give up was his soul. And Paul Murphy looked at that for five minutes and ten minutes. And his friend said, hey, come on, we got, he goes, I got to, there's something here. Something ain't right. Fifteen minutes and 20 minutes, and in 30 minutes, Paul Murphy clapped his hands together and said, young man, don't give up. The king's got one more move. The chess champion had figured out something that the painter of the painting didn't even know, that there was one more move there. The Lord can use you again, no matter how much a person's messed up, and I've said this before. I think a lot of times what that does, it qualifies person at a higher level in ministry because God can use the very mess ups you made to be able to impact someone else. Would you please stand? Father, we thank you and praise you, God, for another opportunity, Lord, that you've given us to be able to share your word. And God, if there's people here this morning, but they've never said yes, they've never said yes to you as Savior in their life, I'm praying, God, that become a reality to them today. We're asking and praying, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, that you would knock, that you would knock, that you would knock on every heart today. If that person's not said yes to you, I'm praying that today would be their day. Faith, faith in you, Lord, you've done it all. Ain't one of us can be good enough. Ain't, ain't one of us can look good enough. Ain't a, ain't a one of us can give enough. All we can do is do what you've asked, and that's to receive your grace. Speak to the hearts of every person here. God, if there's someone here that they think that you've given up on them, Lord, you can use that person again. Some of the greatest mess-ups and some of the greatest failures in the Bible was who you used the most. You used Moses even though he killed a man. You used Paul even though he killed a man. Don't let anybody think that you don't love them. God speaks by your Holy Spirit.
our prayer that you have been blessed as you've listened to this message. If you would like to become a partner with this ministry, please contact us here at Orchardville Church. You can visit our website at orchardvillechurch.com or you can contact us by phone at area code 618-835-2677.